Genesis chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. And this is the word of God. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch uh, walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Then in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, we read, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Then a few verses from the epistle of Jude. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning, uh, unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, Wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to, uh, to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against God. This is God's word, and we thank him for it. I don't know if you picture biblical characters in your mind. Um, I always think, if we think of Peter, I always have the picture in my mind of the really hard guy, a hard man, but who really craves approval and what other people think of him. We have Luke, who in my mind is the very prim and proper, well-educated doctor. Well, we have John the Baptist, who is some wild man living out in the desert, dipping locusts into honey. I certainly don't know what you think of Enoch. Enoch, to me, especially after this week, is like the really, really, really quiet kid in a school class who is really the guy the teacher should be keeping his eyes on. Enoch is the guy who listens really, really carefully to the lecture and then asks some incredibly awkward question at the end, and then asks another one after that. I say all that because we actually don't know very much about Enoch. And really, that's because scripture says next to nothing about him. But what it does say raises a lot of questions for anyone who wants to take scripture seriously. He's mentioned briefly, very briefly, in Genesis 5, uh, we read that uh, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Then after that, 
Uh, he lived 300 years, had other sons and daughters, and then God took him. So we know that he walked with God, and we know that he was an incredible 365 years old when that happened. So we have the obvious question about the length of years there. His father, Jared, was 162 when he fathered him, and he went on to live another 800 years. So what do we make of that? The author of Hebrews interprets that little passage as God taking him as a result of his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Where is he commended as having pleased God? Where? When? Why? And then he's also cited in Jude's letter, in verses 15 and 16, where his prophecy apparently is quoted. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against God. Which is great until you realize that the book of Enoch is not in scripture. It's not in our Bibles. It's not in the Jewish Old Testament. It's not even in the books that the Roman Catholic tradition have added to scripture. So did Jude think that somehow this was an inspired part of scripture? Did he think it was a real prophecy? If so, why is the book of Enoch not in our Bibles? And if it's not inspired, then why on earth did he quote it? So there we go, very many questions, and hopefully a few answers. How we interpret the historicity of uh, the ages in Genesis, how we interpret the New Testament's use of the old, and the whole other topic about the canon of scripture, and what we actually mean by inspiration. And all of this coming from a guy who the Bible says virtually nothing about. So I'll just say very little about the first couple of things, because I think they're important, uh, but then we'll spend more time looking at Enoch's faith. So Enoch's age, we do know that around this time, there were other records of kings and rulers living for what seemed like impossibly long amounts of time. Uh, we do know that there was one of... Sorry, that's working. So close. That's okay. Uh, there is a list called the Sumerian King List, uh, which is an ancient record of kings who had lived for incredible amounts of years from the Babylonian Empire. So I think when Moses wrote uh, Genesis 5, I think Moses is actually deliberately aping or mimicking the Sumerian king list, because his list in Genesis 5 doesn't just start with some random king, but actually God, the king of kings. Moses is using what pagans had accepted as truth, and he's actually turning it against them. And we also know that in the Babylonian number system, it was very different than our own. Instead of counting like we do in units of 10, or if you're into computing, units of two binary, Babylonians actually counted in units of 60, which apparently, if you convert it, brings the ages in a much, much, much closer realm to our own. 
So it's not far-fetched to understand that the ages are actually pretty realistic, but just counted in a different way than the Gregorian or decimal system that we use. The other things that are surrounding Enoch are actually much more interesting than just his age. So first off, who actually was Enoch? Well, Enoch, we read, was the, was, uh, the seventh generation from Adam. And we know that from the gen uh, genealogies in Genesis uh, 5 and Luke 3. So it's this Enoch, the Enoch from Genesis 5 that we're speaking about, and definitely, definitely not Cain's son, who is also called Enoch and mentioned in Genesis 4. Because Enoch is such a unique character, and there's nobody else really like him in Scripture, such little written about him, he actually appears to have gained quite a following among Jewish mystics. A book was named after him, the Book of Enoch. Uh, we don't actually think it was written by Enoch, this Enoch, but rather someone from Enoch's cult attached his name to it because it sounded good and to give it a bit of legitimacy. It actually appears to have been written post-exile, and some academics think it was as late as 150 BC. To make things even more interesting, there's no known copies of it in Hebrew or Greek, and it appears to have been written in an ancient language called uh, Gehaz, which is Ethiopian. Interest, interestingly, the little section that uh, Jude quotes, and there's 108 chapters in the Book of Enoch, is inspired by Deuteronomy 33.2. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Serapanus. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. So it seems to be some kind of interpretation based on that little passage. But why does Jude refer to this in the way that he does? Is Jude acknowledging this extra-biblical source as actually legitimate and written by Enoch? Well, no, I don't think he is. Instead, like Moses and the, and the Sumerian king list, Jude seems to be using this against the false teachers at the time who absolutely accepted it as true. Jude is using their own source against them. Jude seems to be referring to this uh, pseudonym Enoch, the seventh from Adam, rather than saying that Jude is actually someone who believes that this was written from the hand of Enoch. Much like uh, when Paul in Titus 1 refers to the poet uh, Epimendes of Crete, uh, Crete from the 6th century as being one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own. Paul does not mean that Epimendes of Crete was a prophet any more than Jude is acknowledging this guy, uh, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, who compiled this book, as a real prophet in the same sense as Isaiah or Micah or Jeremiah. Like Moses did with the Babylonian uh, maths and the, king of the list of kings, Jude is simply taking the text and using it against his opponents. So no, just because uh, Jude is citing this does not mean that we should be including the book of Enoch as the 67th book of scripture any more than we should be including Epimende of Crete's uh, poem. Jude has the same concern for Enoch, the seventh from Adam, 
as Paul does for Epimendes. Like Paul, he's using it as an illustration to drive a nail straight into the heart of those who are teaching false doctrine. He's not giving it a blessing. So if we think, perhaps, well, who really was this man behind the myth? Who is, who is the Enoch of Genesis 5 and of Hebrews 11? Well, we read in Genesis 5.24 that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. The author of Hebrews does a lot of interpretation around that little verse in verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he had taken him, he was commended as having pleased God. A lot of that interpretation in Hebrews hinges on a little phrase in Genesis. Enoch walked with God. If you have your Bibles open, you might compare the structure that Moses use, uses against the rest of chapter 5. So he says, when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enoch. Seth lived after he fathered Enoch, uh, Enoch 807 years and had other sons of daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and then he died. Each entry begins and ends with, he lived and he died. But Enoch's is very different. Instead of following that structure and reading something that we would expect, like Enoch lived after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years, Enoch died, we actually read, lived and died, are not in Enoch's story. Instead, we read, Enoch walked with God, not just lived, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch does not die. Enoch walked with God, same phrase, walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch does not live just like the others. Instead, Enoch walked with God. And Enoch did not just die. Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. So what does it mean to walk with God? It does not mean to just live. It means to live by faith. Not just live, but live by faith. Because we know from Genesis to Revelation, the righteous will live by faith. By faith Enoch was taken up that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he, uh, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. It's very like Noah, the only other person who in the entirety of Scripture is explicitly mentioned as walking with God. We read in Genesis 6-9 that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah was righteous because, exactly like his grandfather Enoch, he walked with God by faith, because the righteous shall live by faith. I'm very encouraged with what scripture does not say about Enoch. 
where is Enoch's list of good deeds? Where is the list of all the great things that Enoch did? What is exactly Enoch's example to follow? Enoch, as a character, completely closes down any idea that we might have that Old Testament characters somehow are models of virtue to follow. Because if you try to follow Enoch's example, you won't find an example to follow. Instead, how was Enoch saved? How was he commended as uh, having pleased God? Where's the works that contributed to salvation? He pleased God by faith. He lived by faith. And we read in Hebrews in, uh, 5 and 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If we or anybody else do not have faith, Scripture says it is absolutely impossible that we could please God. So what does it look like to walk with God? Well, Hebrews 11.6 says it's by faith that we draw near to God, believe that he exists, and also that he rewards those who seek him. So in other words, really, living by faith is the whole work of the Holy Spirit. Because who gives us the gift of faith? We know in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one, no one may boast, including Enoch. Because Enoch was not saved as a result of his works. He literally doesn't have one thing to boast about in Scripture. In all the pages of Scripture, you will not find anything that he did to deserve his salvation. And folks, if we didn't have that gift of faith, neither would we draw near to God. If God didn't give us the gift of faith, we would not believe that he exists. If God did not give us that gift of faith, we would not believe that he rewards those who seek him. But by the gift of faith, we do believe those things. If you believe those things, it's because God has given you the most precious gift you could imagine. And it's by faith, folks, that we are governed by scripture, not opinion, not politics, and not culture. We don't read about folk living until they're 365 and then think that the Bible is wrong. There's context to understand what's written in Scripture. We don't read a few verses in Jude and think, yeah, all that thing with inspiration's not really true. We don't readjust our, our understanding of scriptural authority because Jude quotes a mystical book or Paul quotes a poet. We, as people of faith, approach these things by faith. As Christians, we live by faith. 
We believe that we have been declared righteous, and we believe that the righteous shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So what does it mean a little bit more to walk by faith? Beginning of Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Christians are not idiots, really. We may appear foolish to the world, because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. But folks, I hope Christians here especially are not living in some kind of bubble. We know, really know, that life is hard, very difficult at times, even if it's not difficult at this very moment. There will be days coming where life will be difficult. We will be faced with illness, with suffering, with sickness, with cancer, maybe poverty, persecution. Who knows what lies ahead? Scripture doesn't say that Christians will not experience these things. Scripture does not say that we will not walk through those days. But Scripture does say, Scripture does say very clearly that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that God walks with us. Even in those days of doom and gloom where folk are pointing, where is God? We walk by faith scripture says that God is with us. Even in bleakness, even in suffering, even in misery, we have faith, the conviction of things that are not seen. We take God at his word that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of what God has prepared for those who love him. If anyone says they've seen heaven, they haven't. Folks, a lot of things puzzle me. I do not have answers. Ministers do not have answers for everything. I don't have answers for myself, never mind a lot of you. I look at the news and wonder how on earth things happen the way they happen. Why do we read the headlines that we read? But I was reading a book this week that said... What can a perilous human word accomplish for others? Why add to that empty talk? It's a good question. If it's just empty human words, why add to the noise? Let human words fade away, but we know that the word of the Lord remains forever. So what does God say in his word about those kind of things, about walking with God, about having the conviction of things not seen, the assurance of things hoped for. Well, he does say, God will work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's in scripture. God says that there's nothing, nothing that we could do to save ourselves. So in his grace, he sent Christ to die for our sin. Scripture says that. That's a promise that we know is true. We know that the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the word, even imperfectly like tonight. 
We know that God promises that all, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that includes me and you. We know that God commands us to believe in the one who Enoch believed in, who Enoch points us towards. Because when scripture says the righteous will live by faith, that is not a fluffy, warm-hearted, sentimental statement. Enoch had faith in the one who was to come. How do we know that? Because the story of the one who was to come, that is the story of Genesis to Revelation, Christ's story. We don't have time to look at them all, but here's a few examples of faith in the opening chapters of Genesis. Have you ever noticed that Adam only named his wife after the fall, after the curse, after death entered the world? What does Adam call his wife? Eve, which means mother of the living. Is that ironic? Don't think so. I think that's a sign of Adam's faith. Adam believed that the Lord would come. The seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent's head. Every firstborn male uh, born to God's people was set apart because they had faith in God's promise that the Messiah would be born. In the Hebrew in Genesis 4, when Eve says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, there is no with the help of in Hebrew. It's literally, I have gotten a man, the Lord. I think that Eve thought that the Lord had come, that Cain was the Messiah. Now we know from last week, he absolutely was not. But we can see Eve's faith in that. That the serpent crusher would come. We see in Genesis 5, Noah's father Lamech, he calls his son Noah, because out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Would Noah reverse the curse? No. No, he wouldn't. But he was pointing towards one who would. Christ. Who's the one that Enoch points us towards? The Messiah. This self-same serpent crusher. Because this one, this one is the only one that all believers at all times and all places have ever been saved by through faith alone. Through faith alone in him alone. Why is that? Because the righteous will live by faith. By faith we believe in God. By faith we are counted righteous. He walked with God. Folks, if your walk is hard going, and for everyone, I don't care who it is, walk, that walk is hard. There are numerous things that happen to us that would cause people to lose their faith. That walk is hard. But can I encourage you folks, 
Look to Christ, not yourselves. But tap into the folk that God has surrounded us with. There's ministers, there's elders, there's godly fr uh, friends, there's family. Don't sit there in silence. Please. Please. Or perhaps, folks, you are called to help someone else in their walk. Have you ever thought about that? That you could be the encouragement for someone else at this time? I'm convinced, absolutely convinced, that a great deal of folk just need someone to speak to, to be there. When was the last time you actually had a conversation with someone about something that mattered? Seriously. Beyond the weather, the Christmas stuff appearing in the shops, Brexit, all that other superficial stuff, but the same conversations with different people all the time, especially among men. Folks, we don't walk this walk alone. That's why we're encouraged to not neglect together the assembling of ourselves, as we heard this morning. We are here for one another. We are united together because we are united to Christ. We have faith in him. Our closing song tonight is Psalm 121. Psalm 121 is famous. I think most of us know it. But did you know that Psalm 121 was one of the songs of ascent that the pilgrims would sing going to Jerusalem? Today, folks, can I encourage you to listen to the folk around you as we sing? To listen to other people tell you that the Lord is your keeper. That we are singing praise to God, but we're also encouraging one another. Isn't it refreshing to hear that from somebody else, that the Lord loves us? That the Lord has forgiven us for Christ's sake? that we walk by faith, that we have forgiveness of sin. To hear somebody else say that the Lord is our keeper. And as we journey together, it is not like the song of ascent to the earthly Jerusalem, but it's that song of ascent to the heavenly Jerusalem. That walk with God, like Enoch. Because tonight, we thank God the story of Enoch and his word to us, his people. Amen. Let us stand as we sing.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.